0: Real life, real conversations, motivational, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, live from the Great 1-8. This is Real Talk with Mark Cox.
1: There we go. We're live. Live, we're live. Good morning, Doc. How you doing?
2: Doing great, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's going to be a good
1: one. This next hour is going to be freaking awesome. That is right. I'm looking forward to this. This uh, the energy you bring and, and the wisdom you bring, and let's see what we can do to help some other people that have these uh, addictions. Because I've 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 had this in my own family, let alone uh, students of mine that have I've had <laughs> taught, and then fallen into addiction themselves matter of fact i have students that walk the streets right around me right here that i taught as kids that are just hooked on fentanyl and crying on my shoulder and i just it's hard for me to i I just don't know how to how to help anymore until they they make it make a decision on themselves to help themselves i'd imagine so yeah definitely
2: that's 100 true
1: well let me give a quick introduction we have today we have dr rob kelly who's phd he's a sought-after Recovery expert who believes in treating the causes of addiction and not the symptoms. Dr. Kelly has appeared on such shows as the doctor's eye opener. Good morning, Texas. And what's that? Ken, is that? Is that Ken's five morning news? Is that there in Texas? Yes. Something there? That's, that's great. A frequent contributor to radio and print interviews, including the Jim Bannon show, Miracles in Recovery, USA Today, and participating in McLean Hospital's Harvard Medical School study on the stigma associated with <clears throat> mental illness. Also, it says here, Dr. Kelly, you created Let's Get Back to 98% Recovery DVDs used in prison and recovery treatment centers throughout the U.S. He's lectured on addiction and trauma at high-profile universities, national conferences, treatment facilities, public schools, churches, business organizations, hospitals. And Dr. Kelly is currently a CEO of the Rob Kelly Recovery Group, an addiction and mental illness recovery coaching company. Awesome pedigree. Awesome well, let's yeah. talk about how. Let's talk about where it was before you were. Before you were Dr. Rob. Let's talk about the early days on where uh, where you were. That makes it so easy for you to relate to people today.
2: Well, I, I was born into a musical family, but I was also born into an alcoholic family, which I didn't know then. Back in the '60s, you know, I was born in '61. nobody knew about alcoholism certainly mental health wasn't on the agenda nobody knew about that either so i took my first drink at the age of nine on a stage uh, with my auntie and uncle playing in a band in liverpool It was on a friday night and we'd just done the first set and i was so nervous i came off and my uncle said hey try one of these and he gave me a beer and i drank it down straight away and all my nerves all my anxiousness just disappeared instantly right there. And then I knew that I was, this was going to be the the uh, the drink that was going to save my life. Cause it took all the anxiety away, took all the nerves away. And uh, it, every Friday and every Friday night, first of all, and then going through my teens, every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night, I would take this drink before I went on stage. No more though, just that drink. And then obviously throughout the years, it, it just escalated, but, Obviously never had a problem with it. Um, so, yeah, it was just, it was really, really good for me. I really enjoyed it. No bad things ever happened in the early days, you know, and then going into 20s, nothing really happened. And then all of a sudden, boom, it took over my life and I lost everything.
1: So I've read, so you have a book out also. And I read a little bit on your, on your episode that you became homeless yourself. Is that correct?
2: yeah i did 14 months on the streets of manchester
1: what was that kind of life like
2: i remember for the very first night i'm thinking how the hell did i get here uh even though i come from the projects uh i made something of myself uh, and uh, i lived in a very nice house nice cars two children beautiful wife all all the stuff and lost it all so the first night it's like holy shit what just happened there how did that go all wrong um and then on you know after a few months I was always a I was always a fighter boxing karate stuff like that And I was a bodybuilder as well so you know I won the under 21s the UK and, and you know a bunch of times so I was a big guy that was nasty as well when he drank because I could look after myself so the first few months was a bit I don't know it was like fighting most days bare knuckle fighting for money or if I couldn't get any money I'd go steal and hurt somebody for money or rob them at night time coming out with the uh, discotheques and nice night, nightclubs. so i gotta admit though mark after about six or seven months i got quite comfortable on the streets you know i'm like a chameleon i can adapt to any situation and uh, i quite enjoyed it and then the suicide attempts come and then on two occasions it worked and i was dead on the side of the road and the emts brought me back to life again and i hated them guys for that but yeah it was just uh, <clears throat> I wanted to die on the streets. And actual all facts. I think the, thing, the figures in Manchester back then <clears throat> it was 97% that were homeless would die on the streets. And 3% were lucky enough to get off, and I was one of the 3%. But <clears throat> until the last day I was on the streets, I never thought I had a problem. I also thought it was bad luck, you know, going through this. I'll be okay. Um, but nobody would speak to me. Everyone disowned me my parents brother and sister uh, my wife uh, she let me to see the children um, I was abandoned on the streets and like I said a suicide attempts you know drinking myself to oblivion every single day and night just sleeping on the bus shelters sleeping under bushes it's just a horrible horrible lifestyle I remember one 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 morning woke up and the guy next to me on the next bench to me been stabbed to death for his sneakers that's the kind of environment I was around it was very 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 mm-hmm. dangerous environment very dangerous
1: it's 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 this way you know I didn't realize we have a lot of stuff in common well first of all we we're born in the same year I'm, I was born in 61 also and in here and of course doing uh, martial arts and stuff like that lifting weights like I did we have that in common but I didn't I didn't realize that I didn't I didn't know that that you did some martial arts and everything else back in the day. Did you do it old school back in the in, in the in the uh in the 70s when it was blood and guts karate i did uh, late 70s yeah.
2: probably 76 77 i think bruce lee just come out i uh, mm-hmm. studied shelter camp got my first mm-hmm. down um uh, very so went to some fights obviously it was non-contact back in the day uh, but yeah did boxing as well just you know i could look after myself there's no doubt about that and uh, so that that took me through the streets. I mean, that guy that was there on the streets was vicious, was nasty, was very protective, very guarded, very wary of people. He's still to this day, and I bet you're the same, Mark, I will never sit in a restaurant where my back is towards the door.
1: N- never.
2: First thing I-, I do when I go in is I look for an escape route and I look for the what I think is the nastiest person that would cause me trouble in a fist bite. I look at where he is, what he's going to do and how long it would take for him to get over to me every single time. And this has been going on for over 30 years. Not yeah. ever has there been an incident, but I will always be that way. I will always protect whoever I'm walking by. Like My wife always walks uh, on the right side of me when I'm walking down the road on the left side. So I protect her at all times. And I'm just one of those guys today that... <clears throat> We have guns around the house you know stuff like that but we have a lot of cameras and alarm systems but if somebody broke through my house, ha- i broke into my house and there was a threat to my family i'm going all out
1: Yep, yep. yeah man we'll we're separate. we're, we're <coughs> definitely uh from the same cloth as far as that goes i still yeah. do that today i don't it's the movie theaters everything <laughs> you know my kids sometimes
2: they, as well it's like you know you can't take concealed weapon or in texas now it's just open carry no one gives a shit. But uh, I want to know where the exits are, you know, and I want to know, I want to be sat when somebody walks in, they don't have direct fire at me, you know, yes. so I can get down for a bit and then maybe, you know, but it's all the crazy stuff that we go through, Mark, that other people probably don't understand. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on guard 24 hours a day. There's no doubt about that.
1: Yeah, def- definitely, definitely the same, the same, you know, I've got a little bit of law enforcement behind me also, so. Me too. I always, you know, I always have that. I was like watching my back or whatever. So back to the street things, I asked this question because you know, there's it's prevalent here. I don't know how it is in, in Texas, but I'm telling you here in Los Angeles, it is prevalent. Yeah. And I'd like to know what your your expert opinion is on on I have so much homeless just in my area and they have shelters. But you know, it's only twenty five percent occupied because they don't really want to go in the shelters. Yeah. And they're kind of built. Well, the shelters also, they'll allow you to leave and you can get high all day and come back. But the thing is, you can't you can't have uh, you can't have coffee. You can't have uh, microwaves. You can't have everything in your room. You can go out and do whatever you want all day. And it's like, ai don't know, it's kind of an upgrade of prison, I guess. (coughs) I guess I can see why people don't really want to go in there. You feel that uh, it's the same for people on the street. Do you think shelters are something people need? Did you ever go to one yourself?
2: Oh yeah, I went to a few shelters because I just didn't want to sleep. You've got me a number in England, Manchester. They, the summer's like over three or four weeks. the rest is cold and the Christmas time is snowing and you know below zero. So yeah, I've used them, I think I think they offer. see back back about 20 years ago, they offered something that homeless people didn't have and they were very successful. But you have to look, we've studied everything to do. We don't just deal with alcohol and drugs, it's childhood trauma, it's depression, it's it's all sorts of crazy stuff we deal with, but <clears throat> a lot of people on the streets today want to be on the streets, okay? Now, a lot of them will might go into a, a, a drug uh, place or an addiction or something, alcoholism, because of the situation, but I, th- I, d- I just think we need more education around what alcoholism and addiction is. We need to look at our vets and go, hey, what the hell are we doing with these guys, We're just- you know they're fighting for for our freedom and they come home we took like shit. you know I think I think there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of money in recovery sorry there's a lot of money in sickness there's not a lot of money in recovery so what I mean by that is if the pharmaceutical companies can't give you a pill or stick you in a treatment center for 30 days for 25 grand nobody's really interested now the psychiatric hospitals got less and less going through the 80s and 90s and that was no sustained apart from a little ward they used to be at psychiatric hospitals, there's not anymore. So, where do they go? They get arrested and go back on the streets. And know, a lot of people like to live on the streets. Those who don't, they're the 25%, probably use the shelters. But we need a whole new look at this, as far as I'm concerned. And, and guys, I, I'm not just popped up, I'm you know 62, about over 30 years experience, and uh, probably 8,000 people have helped just over. You know, I've lived on the streets, I've been on the streets, I've studied on the streets in, in Los Angeles and, and uh, Dallas and San Antonio. I've, you know, I get amongst them and find out what's going on. The real problem is, and it's just, it seems like education. When I was on the streets, I met doctors, I met scientists, I met CEOs of big corporations, not just CEOs of a big, big corporations like, you know, Shell and, and stuff like that. There's a mixture on the streets for different reasons, But I think when it comes to drugs and alcohol, depression, childhood trauma, we need a different look with a different attitude. And I think that's what we brought to the addiction world. It's like, I'm loud and brown. You can't shut me up. I'm going to say something. What I'm going to say, I uh, got on TV with the Purdue uh, attorney and I fought him on live TV. They could do nothing about it. And the very next day, they filed for bankruptcy. He's like, I don't give a shit. Something needs to be done. And I'm the guy to say it you know and, and i thought I oh, watch your back row i don't give a shit what are you going to do to me that i haven't already done to myself what you're going to beat me up i i'm 62 but i doubt it very much i doubt it very much you know are you going to uh, sue me what are you going to sue me for you know it's like my my turn is a more powerful than you so shut up Let, let's talk about the truth i'm not taking any shit. i don't bullshit anybody i don't answer to anybody you know, I used to answer to people with the psychology board in Texas, but we—it's we, a coaching company. We don't i don't answer to nobody apart from God and my wife. The rest can kiss my ass. I've got to—someone's got to start changing the situation, and you know, there's a bunch of us out there doing it, including yourself, Mark.
1: Yeah, that's that's a super super powerful, Doc. You know, that's it's it's the kind of men that's needed um, for sure, and the only kind of men that can sometimes can do it is the ones that's been down the road and have uh, you know. I guess for a short men, have the balls to stand up and say what needs to be said. You've got to do. And if you haven't been there, Mark, you can't,
2: what, what help? well, what can you teach? What can you say? You know, or, or I've got a master's in, in, in counseling. Well, good for you. But have you been on the streets where you have to stab people to survive? I stabbed my wife three times one night, one night, Mark, cause she won't let me finish my bottle of vodka. You think somebody going to a five-year college degree on therapy would understand that? No. They won't understand that. But you talk to another alcoholic or coach who's been in my position and they'll go, Oh yeah, I did exactly the same man. It's a different, different level. Now you can counsel people all over here by addiction and alcoholism. Now, if you have an experience, I'm sorry if I upset a few people, there, but you cannot do the, the job that we need it done. We can't do
1: it. I totally, well, that's, that's, that's also the, uh, the, the coach is going to tell you how to lose weight, but it's never been fat. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, never, I, I ne-
0: just
2: lost I just lost one hundred seven pounds, Mark, over the last eighteen months. That was three hundred fifty pound. I think I'm I think I'm uh, two twenty now, so maybe a little bit more.
1: But yeah, yeah. Well, that's something else that you and I have in common. I'm wow. down one hundred twenty seven pounds, and I was an athlete, and I'm an athlete, and uh, I was just always ha- a big dude, and and you know had a couple uh you know scares with uh, blood clots in the lungs, yeah. and then uh, a <clears throat> tightness scare here, just a few. A few months ago, that was pretty painful for three days in the hospital. It sucked. And, you know, but then again, I, you have to have some kind of a mindset. Well, some shit's going to have to change. If I don't change it, somebody else, you know, it's got to it's it's do what it's got to do. I'd like to know what you think on the on the – what – why is it that there's – you know, the homeless is one thing. Did you experience it on the street when you were there? Why do they hoard so much? What is the reasoning for the hoarding? I mean, the, the homelessness is one thing, being in a thing, but taking up the sidewalk with all kinds of shit, trash, and every other freaking thing, uh, What what? Where, where does that come from? Where's the hoarding issues come from?
2: Uh, I'm going to tell you the answer, and some people might be freaked out by it, but hey, it comes from childhood trauma. It comes from everything being taken away, all the childhood abuse. There's the gateway drug, childhood trauma. I don't mean what you're reading. I mean real childhood trauma. Let's go deep into uh, what trauma looks like. It's not big T and small T, forget that bullshit. It's all QTs, how that affects. We've been robbed of everything. I did the same. We'd have everything taken up. And the only piece of power we have is the stuff that we hoard on the streets. The stuff you see, the old woman, the old man, with the with the shopping cart full of stuff. That's the only thing that gives them power today. So, hey, Christopher, oh, it's good to see you, man. Good to see you. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, it's just, it's that lack of, it's that being abandoned for so long. Because uh, I know that's what I felt on the streets. I felt very, very abandoned and I was abandoned and I suffered from that most of my life, abandonment. And I'll never be tall enough, thin enough, blonde enough or rich enough. You know, it's like when I get this, I know i want more. So it's all part of that hoarding either psychologically or stored in the mind because the mind sits inside the brain. It's not the same entity um so that's how when you look at the mind itself and what it's capable of doing with the energy and the power that we have as human beings you'll be blown away what you can achieve
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is powerful yeah christopher's on saying hi i had him on last week and <coughs> boy i tell you the, the similarities <coughs> are you know he's a no-nonsense guy too he's freaking awesome
2: you know, gotta be today's world chris christopher thank you man i mean it takes and you you know mark you takes some balls to stand up because first of all First of all, especially with me in the medical fraternity, first of all, they wanted to discredit me. He didn't go to college. He's not English, or whatever the fuck he fucking was. You know, it's crazy. And then they mock you. or oh, I don't be stupid. But, you know, at the end of the day, they got to listen to you, especially if you're doing what we're doing. We got to listen to you, you know? And that's the most important thing. I think if you have a, a vision, and, and this is what I teach people every day when they, when they want to achieve something, you know, it's not only that I'll oh, visualize something, I'll get it. No, it doesn't work like that, man. Nah. You've got to visualize it through a period of uh, appointments with, with with somebody who knows what they're doing. Then you've got to attach that chemical to that feeling that that visualization does. So like if I give you $1,000 now, all of a sudden you're going to feel, wow, that's awesome. You're going to feel a bit happy. and You know, why? Well, you just give me $1,000. Well, no, no, that's not why. There's a chemical released in your brain we don't know what it is yet. We're studying it. It's not dopamine, any of the known ones. And why did why are you capable of, of producing that chemical that took you to a better place right there and then without me giving you a thousand dollars? Hundred percent, hundred percent. That's the key to life. But you have to attach a feeling to the futuristic of vision or what you want to be. You have to attach a feeling. What would it be like if I'm already there? How would I feel? And what happens is that produces the chemical, which produces the actions, behavioral. And back out into the world, but it has to be attached to how I would feel now if I was CEO of a multi-trillion dollar company. How would that feel right now? So what we do to guys who are, who are coming up and want to make something of themselves is we take them to the Porsche dealerships and we sit them in the car. Then we take them to the houses and we walk around. You see, there's a chemical attached to that placement in that Porsche while they sat there. And basically, what happens if you can connect the feeling with the chemical, with the visualization, then you will get there. But when you do get there, the mind doesn't go, Holy shit, I don't belong here. Oh my God, look, it's so expensive. No. What the mind does is it goes, Ha, huh, I remember this place. I belong here.
1: Interesting. Uh, that's powerful. That's powerful stuff right there, Doc.
2: Come on, baby.
1: Let's do this. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we got those. We got the gun show, for sure. I, th- I tell that to my kids all the time. I said, "Hey, man, the show sold out," and they said, "What show, Dad?" I said, "The gun show is sold out, bro." That's what sold out. <laughs> so I tell my kids that all the time. Well, Doc, let's talk about let's talk about your book. How'd you how'd you how'd you decide to go ahead and write a book? What's that about?
2: Well, I was against it, you know, and everyone kept saying, "You got to write a book. You got to write a book." But the interesting thing about the book is I lived in Dallas for about 12 years before I moved to San Antonio. And talk about show me your friends, I'll show you future. I said to my guys, I'm thinking of writing a book. And and most of them went, nah, don't be silly. You're not an author, you can't do that, that's just stupid. Never wrote a book. When I came to San Antonio some four or five years ago, I got a new set of powerful peeps around me. And I said to them, you know something, I'm thinking of writing a book. And they all said, oh, my God, I thought you already had books out there. I would buy it now. So this is how it came across. Little scribbles on bits of paper to my wife, Janet Kelly, or voicemails on, on my phone sent to her over a period of about three years. And she put it all together. She unbelievable what she did and and she'd come up with this amazing book now the crazy thing is guys I've never read it it's too painful for me I can't do I can't do that right now uh, <clears throat> but we she sent it off we, we we got it we got it published and then just before we got it published we my daughter got in contact with me on messenger two three o'clock in the morning we went over there to see her and we hugged and cried and walked into her living room she handed me my three-month-old granddaughter and that bond was done but we didn't have a name for the book so we were telling Charlie I don't have a name for the book and she said what about the last thing I said to you and I'm like remind me so apparently I was in charge of the children have been blackout they're not being fed for two or three days or change diapers please pick them up kick the door down Uh, mother-in-law was there you know wife was there protection services child protection services the police they were all there and I was wasted on the floor these two little babies we sat there crying they served me with unfit father papers and they took my children off me right there and then my youngest one ages one was given to my uh wife and my eldest one uh sorry my mother-in-law my eldest one with my wife and as they walked down the path I'm stood at the door feeling like the worst piece of shit ever and I've let everybody down the feeling inside my body was just heartbroken I was crying the police were one of the police officers were crying you know Mum was crying but Charlie my eldest she said three things to me And she walked down the path with mommy's hand and she's holding mommy's hand up here and she turned around and says daddy daddy please don't go mm-hmm. and then she walked down the path probably about in the middle she turned around again he said daddy daddy please get better as they got to the gate, they opened the gate and she turned around one more time and said, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. And I couldn't. And a few months after that, Mark, I was on the street. But Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking <coughs> is the name <coughs> of the book that we come up with. So if you look, if you're watching guys not listening, uh, that's my daughter and, and and that's obviously me back in day. I was wasted there. I was so drunk and wasted. It was unreal. Uh, so, you know, that's the title, and obviously by me, and I dedicated the whole book to her, and, and we published it, and we we 98% of stuff, we give it away. You know, if somebody called, oh, Lon, your book signed, that's going to cost me, it's like, it's on Amazon, it's $9, you know, but if you, like me, I didn't want to pay $9 on the book, like, just call us, message us, I'll give you a signed copy, we'll even pay the postage, you know, so, yeah, it's just about giving it away free, giving it yeah. away free. Job. you know we have a i think when in september that i have a conference my first conference that i've put on with adam javelin and uh the 22nd 23rd in boca raton florida we'll have like 500 bucks everybody gets books
1: free so it's not a money-making thing it's just to spread the message thing yeah it's powerful uh, doc you kind of got me on that one might even be misty-eyed a little bit thinking about it you know it's tough it's yeah. tough i'm a dad and uh I could still I could feel the energy through the even through the call. That's uh, that's 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 tough stuff there for yeah. sure. Yeah, that's that's real tough. Yeah. That's real tough. So, what do you think? Um, what's your opinion then? As you go forward, uh, when you do your life coaching, do do you when you you have a life coaching that you talk about? Is your do you look? What's your What's your niche? Or do you have multiple <coughs> niches that you kind of deal with? Do you deal with people that need better in business? Are you are do you deal with strictly with mindset and how to deal with do you dabble deep into you know what causes people to do what they do? How does that work in your world? What do you what is what is your niche?
2: Well, with 8,000 patients and a 97% success rate, the nearest one to us is 10%. <laughs> Uh, we have to have a secret, surely. We? Well, we do. We we, we, will, we will work with anybody. If you want to better yourself, become a CEO, if you want to kind of better dad, you no know, confidence, addiction, childhood trauma, depression, whatever it is. If you want to build an empire, whatever it is, we guarantee we're going to get you there. Otherwise, we refund your money. But yeah, that's what we do. How do we do it? Well, we're, we're the experts on neuroscience, pertaining to the mind pertaining to any addiction or fear everybody has an addiction by the way guys if you're thinking you don't think again you do everybody has an addiction and everybody has childhood trauma so by using the neuroscience around and neuroplasticity um, brain spotting psychology behavioral science and neurolinguistic programming amongst a daily one hour a day over 90 day period via telehealth on zoom Uh, we get you to the place you want to be so when you have the assessment we ask you in three months or three to six months time because it's a step down from daily uh what do you what do you want to achieve and they go well i want to win the lottery yeah you're not our guy go away well i want to become manager at work i want to get in contact with my children i want to be the best husband around i want to build an empire i I, I don't want to be depressed I i have a lot of trauma. whatever it is we run a program around you now these days, we only take on four patients at any one time. We don't take it on any more because it's just too busy right now. You know, we're, we're, we're boxed up solid for the next goodness knows how long. But yeah, there's nothing we won't do to make sure you get there. So <clears throat> we have done all sorts of stuff. So we had a guy once who was suffering from Asperger's. He was on, you know, the spectrum. I hate that word, but he was. And he was about 21 years old and his parents, you know, desperately wanted him to have a normal life, you know, kind of have a girlfriend, which he never had and probably never would have without coming to us. And his fear was speaking to girls. So after a couple of months, I said, "Okay, we're going to cure this. Didn't tell him nothing. Didn't tell him anything. But I got a pub in uh, Dallas, Texas. Uh, It was an Irish pub uh, and a friend Marius there. And I hired 20 girls, Okay, 20 really good looking models. And they came into the office and said, here's the deal. If I come to your table, you know, I'm going to pay for everything. And you got to mention Mustang cars because that's what he was into. Uh, I'm paying everybody, I don't know, $25 an hour. It'll be a three-hour deal. I pay for all the meals. But what happens is me and him went in because I told him I was taking him out for a meal and asked him to look around the pub. I said, if you could have any girl in there, who would you have? So obviously the beautiful blonde that we'd hired, he points at her. So, I literally had to drag him over there and we sat down before he even knew what day it was. And I said, Hey, girls, I was going to join you. Blah, blah, blah. It's my friend. And uh, straight away, one of the girls said, I can't be too long. I've got to go down and put some money in the meter. I don't want my Mustang being towed away. Well, he was into Mustangs. So, they got talking and house on fire. He'd come out the next day. And then three or four days later, he had a girlfriend and got married and had children. That's the shit we do. Whatever it takes, I will jump on a plane. If you go missing, I will find you. I would handcuff you, and I will bring you back to there the, to us to get you well. There's nothing I
1: won't do. That's awesome. That's awesome, Doc. What do you think they? Uh, well, let's, let's just say. Well, I can I can probably attest, just me personally. You know, I don't really speak for others, but I can tell you that because what I went through. Maybe I had you know I had a a, a cousin that molested me when I was a kid it's probably why I am the protector I am today. Right. And this is probably is what dictated uh, my life. Cause I'll make sure that it doesn't happen.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: And uh, I'll do anything on that, on that end too, to, <coughs> to facilitate that it doesn't happen. But I see here now, you know, now that I have you, I'd like to get some of your expert opinions on. And cause in my world, what I knew, what I saw 20 years ago with students and, and parents are way different than what I'm seeing here today. First of all, <coughs> I just don't recall a lot of autistic kids unless they were hidden or or i just didn't see them like like 15 to 20 years ago as prevalent as they are today yeah why is that uh medication at birth
2: <laughs> people do go what yeah there's a medication going in the 60s and it, and it caused a lot of thalidomide and and, and distorted <clears throat> childbirth so i think that's a lot of it and the other thing, most people, most people think that illnesses are passed down, and deformities and cancers are passed down from generation. Uh, alcoholism is passed down, so alcoholics are born, drug addicts are made, but also the diseases. But when we look into and research this to the highest, what we found is it's not the disease that's passed down; it's the way of living, it's the food, it's the vitamins, it's the you know the the, the surrounding. So. If I, if if my mama had inflammation on the knees, let's say she had bad knees, then there's a good chance that I will get bad knees, but it's not caught off mom. It's a deficiency in vitamins or food that that the family's been going through years and years. And you change that deficiency there's a good chance. You won't have inflammation uh, on the knees. So I think that's a lot of it myself. And the other thing is as well, we have got to remember is breath work. Breath work will add five years onto your life. And... Listen to this. Every cancer's growth, every illnesses, every inflammation in the body grows or starts in a hypoxic area in in where the place where there's no oxygen. Why is that? Well, we only breathe 25% of our lung capacity. The reason you feel so good when you go to the gym is not the exercise gonna blow somebody's mind. It's this in between (laughs) sets. (sighs) <sighs> That's why running is so intoxicating. So when you get up in the morning, guys, here's how to make you feel amazing, clear mind. Make sure you 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 do the right thing every day. You, you're ambitious. You're happy. Um, because the reason why nobody wakes up ever laughing in the morning ever is not is lack of oxygen. So we get up. We take <sighs> ten exaggerated breaths in. Same at noon. Same about five o'clock. No illnesses can grow any further than they are. The oxygen is rushed around the body, especially to the brain, producing the four chemicals, endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, to happen every day to make you happy. This is the scientific research behind almost every illness, is what's really going on, you know, what's what's really happening here. And the more Gary Brecker, good friend of mine, he's the microbiologist that's blowing all this apart. This is mostly his research that I'm talking about. It's like you really need to know what's going on. You know, you really need to know what you're suffering from. And the doctor is not always right. Now, when I say that, doctor, before you start ringing me up and saying I'm being horrible, let me tell you a statistic that we've been following for at least 20 years. Every, especially soccer mom, every soccer mom that ends up on cocaine or heroin especially started in the, in the doctor's office. So don't come that bullshit, doctors. You need to be held responsible for all the narc- narcotics you're, you're prescribing and getting backhanders off the pharmaceutical companies. Don't think I don't know about that. Yeah, everybody knows, but no one's going to say it. Yeah, I'm saying it. You know, if you go to the doctor and he gives you a strong narcotic, get a second opinion. You'll be surprised how many times we don't need the medication we're being prescribed. I, I come to America, and I'm sure Britain's the same now. People are on six, eight medications at the same time. And people second depression medication, right? And they're still depressed. It's like Gary Brecker says again, you know, how long have you been taking medication for depression? Oh, about 10 years. When did you think it was going to kick in? What? Yeah. Instead of instead of when I feel depressed, and, and I say to my I'm depressed, I can't pull out of it. You know, oh, go to the doctors. And we go to the doctors, and it gives us an SSR which is a release serotonin. So what happens in a couple of weeks or a month time, we feel almost back to normal and we live with that. The only problem is these two questions I want to ask. How long are you going to be able to take that medication? Answer, rest of your life. Why the hell is nobody asking why my serotonin is low in the first place? Boom once you find out that answer which is obviously uh, sunlight social belonging and stuff like that you'll realize that the body creates everything we need to create now let me tag that if you're suffering from serious depression bipolar where the chemicals in the brain have changed you need your medication what i'm saying if you're brand new with a depression don't always think you have to take pain meds it's, uh, or, or, or psych meds or depression meds there's, there's sometimes a way around that
1: that's it uh, that's powerful because if in my own home, my I don't think I would uh, think that I I didn't really deal with depression. I don't think when I was a kid, I don't really I don't remember that. I really didn't have anxiety. But I'll tell you this, a couple of my kids have both. You know what I mean? And I'm like my middle son, my my 20, my 27 year old, 28. i trying to talk to him and I'm like, he sees me, you know, he sees how I am. and He's like, Dad. You all know, your raw, raw stuff, you know, it, it doesn't get to me like it does to you. It doesn't. That's not what motivates me. And I'm like, well, what motivates you, son, besides your music or whatever? And uh, he took it upon himself. You know, he he you know, he had gotten overweight. I could tell. I said, you sure you're just not depressed because you don't <clears throat> like the way you feel. And I said. And somehow other friends of them, they all got together and decided, hey, we're going to do this weight loss thing. And now he's, you know, he's in it for a 70 pound weight loss at this point. (laughs) And I can see that he's different. He speaks to somebody on a weekly basis. He has somebody that he speaks with, a doctor that he speaks with. I don't really think he's on medications per se, but he definitely had a mind change. I see that more and more all the time with parents here that their kids are anxious, their kids are anxiety. Uh, I have kids that are still wearing masks for, I don't know why, you know what I mean? I ask them, I said, why are you wearing that? Some say, I don't like the way I look. So I just use my mask.
0: Mm-hmm. You heard, me
1: heard of all this, this yeah. type of anxiety in, yeah. in young kids, <clears throat> how can you help a coach, uh, help children with their anxiety? I mean, us coaches, man, we, I tell everybody, I don't teach martial arts as much as I do consultations. I can tell you that they're in my office, they're crying, they're this, they're bullied, they're this. Yeah. And I can't get to every school. I mean, some schools I'll just go to and when it gets really bad. I'll just walk them to school myself and I'll walk around with them. And usually my, <coughs> I'm, a, I'm a big enough deterrent that, you know, they stop. But doesn't really go. The problem doesn't really go away at them mentally. Yeah. So how do you help a coach out?
2: Well, it's a couple of things. The first question if someone's anxious is this, guys. Are you on Adderall, Vyvanse, or any stimulant? Because Adderall and the likes are just – Amphetamine salts, that's all they are, The speed, you know. Uh, <clears throat> are you on any of those medications? If they are, there's the reason. There's two things that happen. If you suffer from depression, you're thinking about the past and worry about the past that's happened. If you're anxious, you worry about the future. So when you look at fear, that's always tied with anxiety. The fear of the future, what's gonna happen? I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Fear isn't real. <clears throat> Babies are born with two fears. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. The rest are man-made. Wait till your father gets home. Oh, if you don't pass this exam, if you don't get into college, it's like BS. Shut up. Stop putting all on me. The kids are in so much pressure these days with having to do this, having to do that. It's like, we need to back off on a little tiny bit. You know, the children eight, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, should not be on admiral, Period. There was, there was a point in the United States of America, and I became a citizen four years ago, so I take this shit real serious. There was a time in the United States of America where you couldn't, you couldn't get allure. They were sold out. A, a drug was sold out. Billions of them made every, they were sold out. You could you had to wait three or four days at the pharmacist to get them. And why? Because they're giving it to our kids. How's our kids gonna grow up when they're always in that fight or flight? Now, if, if you have ADHD, and you take the medication and you have HCAD, it will slow everything down, okay? If you don't, 95% of people that take it don't, it speeds your head up and you start getting a high off it. <clears throat> so people who are doing exams, studying all night, kids, going raves, they're all on Adderall. You've got to stop that shit. You've got to look at it. If you're on no medication, what's going on? You know, and you'll find out the same occurring pattern is childhood trauma. Where was you abandoned? Where was you not validated or approved as a child? What happened to your child? Where was the molestation? Where was the... And you'll find sooner or later that it's there. That's why kids are anxious or depressed. It's because of what's going on in the past. Once you visit that and clear it up, then you know, 12, 13, 14, 15s I've worked with, with the same problem, you realize that your past should not define who you are. And most of your past is none of your fault. It's not your fault. It's not the anxiety to carry. Depression is passed down. Uh, it's called a passed down from parents, especially mom to to children. So mom's depressed, daughter's usually depressed. It's a pattern. Monkey see, monkey do. It's a mirroring part of the brain. If I if I see something often enough, I'm gonna start doing that. You know, if I if I have a friend that has a stupid saying like "shut up," within a couple of weeks or months, I'm gonna start saying that because the mirroring parts of the brain pick up that. And we want to do it exactly we want to mirror each other. So again, show me your friends. I'll show you future. If you hang around nine depressed people, you will become the 10th. If you hang around nine successful, happy people, you will become the 10th. There's there's no even thinking about it. You will become the 10th. Why do you think university is so popular and all the guys that went to Harvard got amazing job because they're hanging around with the guys that went to Harvard you know, but what you what, what people are not remembering or, or don't know is their minds are born exactly the same. Then Your mind and the guy who's, who's, who's CEO of multi-training, they're the same. It's the same. So why has he done that and that and that? Well, will go back to childhood trauma now because for a long time, again, I didn't think I was blonde enough, tall enough, rich enough or thin enough. So if you're sat at home and you listen to this and you're thinking that you never could Achieve what I've achieved and you'll never be nothing and you'll never, uh, you know, be be the best father. I want to apologize to you because somebody's put that there. Babies are born with million dollar minds. What the hell are you doing hanging around 10 cent minds? We need to get out and push the envelope and we need to teach our children not to be so fearful and that we can protect them all of the time. We can protect them.
1: That's powerful. I, I, I guess because I am, so my, I raised my kids. So, you know, through my divorce, the kids are with me. So I raised my children, you know, I have uh, three boys and a girl. And I I can see, well, they all had to grow up fast because, you know, I, I had the martial arts school, so I'm kind of working at night, you know, had to have my older one help out with. What, what we had to do, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to take him to school, pick him up because of my how, you know, how the martial arts hours were. I was able to do both of those. But it certainly took a toll on my family. I can tell you that I can. T- I remember s- the certain part of the year, all my children, my oldest son had to lose one hundred and ten pounds. I remember the pizza and lasagna and spaghetti yeah. days of, of just trying to get through and yeah. being, you know, me yeah, uh, trying to be get through anger and then I find that a couple of my sons have that anger bug that I've got. You know what I mean? I've seen yeah. it. Yeah. I've seen it come out. You know, I've gotten older, so it doesn't, it doesn't flare, but man, I'll tell you, it still can flare. And when it flares, you know, I try and keep it kind of suppressed. That's why you always see the Hulk on me everywhere. Right. Cause I'm trying to keep him suppressed because when he comes out, and you can actually hurt people. It's not. It's not a really a good. Not just by physically hurt, but I'm just talking about just mentally beat somebody down just by how you talk to them. Either either of those, it's been complicated. So, you know, I watch my sons dealing with anger. Uh, maybe you can give some advice on how to have anger control. I'd have it. Now, I had to go to some classes. I t- I checked myself in for six months on anger management when I was going through the divorce because I did not want something to go awry there. You know, yeah. and so where I'm, I'm going to put myself in jeopardy. Now, of course, I check I, you know, a lot of these guys are court mandated. And I'm like, man, these guys are I yeah. thought I was bad with anger. I mean, yeah. we're talking about taking bedposts and knocking their wives upside their head. And yeah. you know, I was like, what the frick? Yeah. And so. Anger, I think I, I've seen anger, I've seen anger in young men uh, uh, here that I have in my own school, especially a group of, of, you know, alpha type men. And jiu-jitsu has been a lifesaver for them, even over sparring. Sparring not everybody likes because you get hit in the face. Jiu Jitsu, you can get on the ground and you can roll around a little bit and you're not really, you know, taking punishment to your face and stuff like that. But the release of something. I don't know if I like To be honest with you, Doc, even myself, if I miss, if I miss, uh, you know, I, I roll two or three days a week. If I miss one of those, I can feel myself a little bit anxious and a little bit on edge. And every time I kind of roll, it's kind of like a washing, like you're getting out of a shower and you're taking everything, uh, all this dirt off you. What do you think on that? On those rinds? anger, that type of thing, physical.
2: You see, what happens is uh, when we're children, there's been there's been violence in the house, and somebody grows up violent. Uh, everything you see in the house, you get taught to do. Again, monkey see, monkey do. Everything we we hear, we believe to be the truth, and everything we see is how we feel. So what happens is we all want to be like dad, or girls, you know, girls want to be like mom, but they adore dad. So whatever they replicate in that house, if the child, if the young boy sees dad coming home every night, and most nights it's violence, he, he learns a couple of things. You know, he, he learns to run and hide at certain points, and you'll always be dominated by father and, and, and beaten up by father and stuff like that. So that's inbred as normal living. Okay. Cause what's it to compare to? Nothing. Mom and dad teaches everything. So if you see that behavior, then you're going to go on, uh, to, to do that behavior. And this is where girls, um, it's really easy to track girls when this happens because they see father coming on drunk, hitting mom. Um, uh, and they learn a couple of things. They learn to listen for the door. Does the key go straight in the door or does it jangle around a bit because if it jangles around and doesn't go straight in dag's drunk and it's going to be fine and something wrong but that behavior itself becomes a comfort zone so what happens when the girl grows up to be a woman in her teens and 20s and she starts dating she will attract the guys that will always end up beating and always end up uh, the alcoholic type now why is that well it's because of the energy that she's learned it becomes a comfort zone now our tests and trials have shown that if that girl by any means meets a guy that treats her well with no violence, she will self-sabotage that relationship because it doesn't feel comfortable. So when we see kids going through, we see in adults a lot in offices, there are people around that needs to call drama because that's their comfort zone because they've seen that in their house. So they're always called drama. There's always one in the office that causes the drama. It's usually the overweight girl or guy wants to cause drama and run away. That's childhood uh, trauma. You know, that's all they're doing. So the anger in itself is the inability to express one's feelings, because it's all, it's all, it's all in there that you've been told as a kid to shut up, never be seen, always be, you know, sit in the corner. It's not your job. So, so it gets and builds up. And the only thing we can do, and is the nearest person that what we see, because it bursts out. So, how do we get rid of that? Well, what happens is, is first of all, we lose our identity. Women lose our identity. Marriages a lot of the times boys lose their identity because they're not really related or connecting with fathers who've so never been validated, never been approved. So as they grow up, this becomes a violent act to put them in that comfort zone and find their identity. Where do they get identity from? From people like you, Mark, from the stuff you do, from the martial arts that they train. See, everyone thinks martial arts about fighting. You know as well as I do, it's not. It's about discipline, it's about being, it's being at one with oneself and, and knowing worth, knowing what you are worth. When you know what you are worth, you will never be violent, never be violent because you need validating, my man, and you need approval. and You need to say, hey, you are worth it. And that's what it comes down to. But the law of attraction is very powerful out there. And the quantum physics that attaches to that and the neuroscience that we do proves that. Once you find out your identity, find out how powerful you really are, because girls and guys, if you sat at home watching this and you think you're kind of attracted, you're 25% more attractive than you think you are. You're 25% more intelligent than you think you are. You're probably 25% thinner or muscular than you think you are. We never see ourselves in the mirror. What we see in the mirror is a distorted picture from our childhood. Boom. So when I lost, I used to be a bodybuilder, but then I put a lot of weight on. And kids often find this when they when they're heavy set going through the 20s and 30s, and they lose a lot of weight. They still going to into close place and go for the big and tall area. Instead of going to the medium and large area, when they go out, they'll order massive food even though they can't eat it now because of the old behavior and picture of themselves. It's very hard for someone to see themselves in the mirror as they truly are. It's very, very hard. Once you find out what's going on here, you can fix here, man, I'm telling you.
1: All my children suffer from that. This body, just yeah. every, every one of them. My son, uh, my other son, that's a runner now. He was always heavy, even through high school, and you know he had lost 110 pounds. He runs, I don't know, anywhere from four to seven miles a day now. That's what he does, and he's, uh, you know, he's 145 pounds, right? And he just looks at himself, and he tells me all the time, he goes, he goes, "I don't even know if I can take my shirt off at the beach, Dad." And I'm like. So I just I don't know how to help you with that, son. I, I really don't know. That. I don't have answers for you. I like said <coughs> conquered this thing that you needed to conquer. You got to see it in your mind now. Stop worrying about anything. It, it, it he'll get triggered if somebody even teases him at all, right? I'm like, why you give a shit what somebody says? Who cares a it? You know what I mean? Now, why, now why? somebody said something to him as a child or a young adult that's that's scarred him.
2: And and here's what I had once: there was a group of dads we meet every week, everything was great. One of the kids or one of the 20s, 30s, uh, lost a load of weight. It was ph- phenomenal, he looked amazing. It wasn't great, but he looked amazing. And he heard one comment like, and he'd stopped training for a couple of weeks because he was sick, but he was also eating back to his old behaviors and he started to put maybe 10 pounds back on. So he's lost hundred put 10 pounds back on. He heard somebody in the background as he's walking past a group of people saying, oh, look at Billy, is getting fat again. Oh my God, the damage done by that is unbelievable. Now, when I was a a kid around eight, nine, 10, my parents used to drop me off at what they called a friend's house to go out drinking. So they would look after us, you know, till the next day. And as soon as my mom and dad's car pulled out the driveway, we had to play a game called run round naked. So we actually get all all undressed and run round. You know, I didn't know that was child abuse. Anything less than nurturing, by the way, is child abuse. I didn't know that, but as a bodybuilder, I still want to take my top off. That's That's the stuff that scarred us. So why is that memory acting out today? I don't want to take my clothes off. Sometimes it's related to what we see ourselves, but mostly it's related to something's happened in the past where someone's ridiculing or said something about the physique. And in about six months' time, you'll realize how good he looks if he gets the right help. Otherwise, you know, kids are stuck in that traumatic event. Like, there's a nursery rhyme with the kids at school, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt me. What a bunch of shit that is. Yeah, I can, and I'm sure you can, Mark. I can destroy somebody in, in two seconds with what I say sometimes.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, and yeah. I've done it I like yeah. an asshole. I've been an asshole for sure. Yeah,
2: yeah, one hundred percent. We can change people's days. So the way I look at it today is, you need to surround them people with lots of validation and approval, and you know, get friends to do that or relatives to do that, and all of a sudden, what we hear is how we feel. Remember? So sorry, what we how we see is how we feel. So we see these people. Coming to us and saying how amazing we are, eventually you're going to take the honest and working part of the mind. It's, it's it's the basal ganglia part of the mind. Repetition, strength, and confirms. But if nothing's coming in, and old behaviors and thought patterns of the past that scarred you, it'll keep going round and round and round and round. And then what happens is you keep self sabotaging at certain points, and you'll never get. Uh, I
1: definitely, I definitely I feel, feel that, even myself in that child of trauma. Yes. I definitely feel my. I, I felt that even in myself. You know, I hate that one of my memories of my oldest son is, gosh, I remember when dad was angry driving and he pulled somebody out and he bounced his head right off the our, our <laughs> the hood of our car. And I'm like, Ugh. I said, I said, I remember those days, man. That's how angry I was. I mean, I would fight at the drop of a hat and give yeah. two shits about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then that's probably from, you know, I was bullied pretty good in school. Yeah. You know, I started lifting weights when I was a younger guy, 12 years old. So i've always bigger than everybody else i've always been a bigger athlete so you know i've always heard it i've always heard something and i still hear today even as an adult it didn't matter how many teeth i knock or how many black eyes i've given out the the words kept on coming and at some point i had to say man i'm gonna have to back off and then i I see what i've done to my own children yeah Um, and then i i don't have a way to fix it you know what i mean it sucks Really sucks, and it has to be an
2: outside source, but it's very, 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 very fixable. You know, <clears throat> as I say, the only reason I started uh, weightlifting or bodybuilding was because was I was getting knocked around the ring, you know, because I was so light and I was getting bullied at school. So I started bodybuilding, and what happened is I was a natural. I was a natural, I didn't have to take steroids. I did in the end, because everyone was telling me that I was, so I took him anyway, but in the beginning, and then what started to happen, Mark, is I was walking around school and everything, and, and people would, hey, watch out, Bob Kelly's here, don't, don't annoy him, he'll batter you. And, and people become scared of me. And then what happened inside, I didn't see this big outside guy. I still was this nine-year-old kid inside that was scared of somebody still bullying me. And it was a really strange situation to be in. Is I'm expected to come up and beat me up or, or, you know, but everyone was scared. So what happened then, talk about the mind and, and the psychology behind this, then I started to think nobody liked me because no one would approach me. The reason we stopped approaching me is I was scary looking and it looked like I was going to kill somebody because of all, you know, the bodybuilding and the martial arts and stuff. People were scared. It happened a few months ago in a, in a group of men I go down and speak to. There's about 50 guys there. And I've been doing it for a few months. But after I finished speaking, Mark, everyone would just go their own way in the different clicks in the corners, and i stand there on my own, and nobody would approach me. And one day, a couple of weeks ago, I said to the guy that owns it, he said, you know something I'm thinking of stepping down, Jimmy? And he was like, stepping down? What? Why did you step down? What? I said, well, nobody, nobody's really giving a shit what I do. Nobody kind of likes me. Nobody." And he started laughing, and he said, likes you? No one's going to approach you, Rob. They've seen you on TV. They've seen you, you know, writing the books. They've seen you with, with part of the government. They've seen you on t- You're a superstar. And I'm like, what? There's no, fr-. I thought they hated me. They were, they were intimidated or they didn't want to come up in case. I was like, oh, go away. I'm too busy and famous to see you guys. And I was thinking it was me. And that's what happens nine to t- an out of 10 times with human beings is you think they think it's me. It's not. It's like the guys you got out of the car and bounced off. The guys you threatened to kill, you know, like we we all did back in the day. It It wasn't about the guy. It was really about us. Why we were so angry. Why we were so defensive. Why we wanted to strike out. Because we couldn't verbally put it into a situation that would calm it down. So we did the only thing that we knew as a kid was to fucking defend ourselves and strike out first. I was always told that. This is why most of my relationships didn't last and because of my abandonment is when I started dating girls, I would leave them before they left me because I knew eventually they were going to leave me. And it's the same with, with fighting. Always strike the first punch. Always. If you think it's and you make a move. And, and you know as well as me, but I, I did the doors for years and years. No doubt you did something similar. And I can tell when someone's about to throw a punch, when the... Mm-hmm. the uh, the stance changes, you know, little things like cleansing a little tiny bit, the eye movement, and I would strike first every single time because that was my defense. Because I didn't want you to hurt me, so I'm going to strike first. I didn't want you to leave me, so I'm going to leave you first. And it's just a shit way of living, to be honest.
1: Yes, that's that's hundred percent. And this has been pretty. This is this has been this helpful for me even because I I say this all the time. Every time I do podcasts, I'm able to get to these. You guys and and kind of because this is all happened here. It happens in my school. It's happened in my house. I remember just recently my son, and a couple, both my boys, as a matter of fact. You know, they're they're at, they're at a stage of becoming men. They're they're adults, age, but they're you know they still live with me, right? So, uh, you know, still some of my rules here, boys. And when you're gonna lash out, you're gonna get the other side of dad. And both times this has happened, and it almost went to blows with both of them. And I'm yep. thinking. I'm going to knock the shit out of my sons here in about two seconds, man. And uh, I, I can feel it coming. And, you know, then they'll, they'll egg me on. Both yeah. my sons did this to me. Both clenched hands, ready to kind of throw. And I said, man, don't do it. Don't do yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and then I just, I kind of walked away. And then this is what I did, you know, because I was like, either I'm going to be angry at this kid. So I oh, knocked on the door, <coughs> were angry. I grabbed my son. I just hugged him. And I said, I shouldn't have, um, I shouldn't, have came- even though you were angry at me, I shouldn't come back like that. Like yeah. I'm going to fight you. So they broke down in tears, both of them. Right. And I don't know, something, something we, changed. We have to that. do that. We have to do
2: that as, as fathers. We have, if we show them not to do that, they're going to go out to the world and do that and have complications. You see, going back to your identity, I used to walk into a room, Mark, and I used to worry about I used to think to myself who likes me in here what I do today is I kick the fucking door down walk in and go who do I like in here so once you find your identity of who it's like a Ferrari Arnold Schwarzenegger who I met back in the 70s because of the bodybuilding he, he tells a story about buying the first Ferrari you know um, and pulling up at the signal like light, traffic lights and the guy next to him like revving his engines in some other car and arnold pulled off really slow and he got asked by a, report, a newspaper reporter why don't you burn him off and he said when you know what you're capable of doing what's the point in showing off and that bodes well to everything that we do just because I have a ferrari doesn't mean i have to show you how fast it is because i know how fast it is just because you see a certain situation where it could cost i know what i can do so i stay calm in the situation you know i i don't i'm not quick to jump up with you know, the 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 threat of gonna kill you because, and I'm sure you, you you this is you, but you probably don't know. Uh, when we walk in a room, we're, we're smiling and happy, but you know, to guys in there that they, they see one thing, I'm not gonna fuck with him. No right. way I'm gonna mess with him because that's what we carry into a room. It's not ego, it's confidence that you know what you can do after the years of experience and the years of talks got. I'm 62, like you, Mark, but you know something? Stack them up 19, 20, 25, 20, 30. Makes no difference. I'll still put you down because I know what I'm capable of doing. Now, will that last the rest of my life? Hell no. If I know 20 exactly. years' time, I'm not going to do that. But then I know my limits. So I'm going to carry a gun. It's kind of that situation. Once you find out that violence is not the answer, you know, arguing with somebody that we should have more sense of doing that, that a hug that makes a difference will change your son's life forever. It really will psychologically. Well, because we know what we're capable of doing I don't have to get violent today you fucking know what I can do just by looking at me you know you see the big frame and, and you, I mean, you know what I can do so I'm, I'm not going there with you unless you want to but if you do make sure your freaking insurance is up to date
1: <laughs> yes I I have that I have that same uh I have that same I, I've often wondered why does everybody think I'm so intimidating because I you know I'm not I'm not unapproachable But I do walk into a room like, you know, know, like I I do walk in a room just like that, you know, like when I walk in and it's uh, I do that. I don't know if that's good or bad. It's just something I I told him, I said, I don't know how to get rid of that. I said, I don't think I'm ever getting rid of it, you know, and when I step on the mat, I have super confidence. It was never a matter if I was super fat or not. I mean, when I stepped on the mat, you knew that I was about to deliver some kind of a good class and and, uh, you know, and I enjoyed the fight. I still enjoy the fight today. Yeah. I still enjoy it. 100%. 100%.
2: I think when you walk into a room and everyone kind of fears you, we're never going to say it. The way I got around that was to go around every – and then you saw this, go around every person in that room and shake their hand and say, great to see you, man. You're awesome. And then they go, oh, wow, he's actually a good guy. Instead <laughs> of stay away from him. And I I, I I, fight people with kindness today. Even my haters, got some haters out there. They go, he's wasted time. And when I see them and they walk up and I they go, man, I just love you, man. That's what he's letting you know. Yeah, but I wrote that comment. It doesn't make any difference, man. You're a human being. I love you to bits, man. And they, they don't They don't hate on me anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I can tell you, Dr. Rob, man, that hour went by quick as, yes. as we did this, man. It sure did. I, I, I've got so much um, uh, respect for you, number one, and just so many good nuggets today, even just to help me personally. I didn't realize how much kindred spirits we are born in the same year, you know, uh, backgrounds dealing with it. I mean, I didn't hit the streets, but I was very close. I stayed in, 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 (laughs) you know, I didn't hit the streets, but I was in a garage on a cot at the cousin's house who molested me as a teenager. Right. And uh, I remember when I was 18 and he walked in and I was bigger then. he walked by and he goes, hey, Mark, how you doing, man? I cold cocked him, man. Right. I was like, man, right into the pool. Yeah. And I said, I'm not that fucking getting. You know what I mean? I was just like, on it, and yeah. and I just I remember that vividly. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, it's wow. it's, and I just think I've I've just carried it forever. I'm kind of the black sheep, you know. My brother's the one that I tell him all the time. My yeah. brother's the one that can walk on water. I'm the one that kind of treads. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm yeah. the I'm, I'm the black sheep. Yeah. But when shit hits the fan, who do they come to? The black sheep you always. I mean? and always. So, it's been such a good hour so i'm gonna just take you know give you the last 30 seconds uh, doc give us some words of wisdom from your side and uh we'll go on with our day
2: okay guys so listen <clears throat> remember we never know how powerful we are so today or tomorrow when you get up make your bed Go to the uh, bathroom. If you brush your hand with your right hand, brush it with your left for a week, then back for a week, then back for a week, and back for a week. Do that for a month, guys, and you will change the way you think in 10 exaggerated breaths every single morning. will move the way you go, and then plan five things you're going to do today. Five things. They could be easy as breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then two errands, but make sure you complete the five things and as the life goes on, increase them five things to make sure the report's done. I want to do this. Start really easy so you don't set yourself up for failure. Your life will change from tomorrow.
1: So good, Doc. Doc, tell everybody what your podcast is in Texas so they can follow yours. So, uh, Breaking Through
2: Addiction is, is the podcast. And uh, I spell my name with two B's in case you can't see, but you're listening, guys. R O B B K E L O Y dot com is the website. Jump on there, see the conference. There's also the Rob Kelly Foundation. Uh, we don't take a dime out of that. We have no paid stuff on that at all. We have only volunteers. So, yeah, guys, come and see us. Say hi. If you want a book, send me a message. Come find me. I'll send you a signed book if you want it. Uh, if you buy it from Amazon, you don't like it, text me. I'll refund your money.
1: Sounds great, Doc. Had a great time with you, man. It was my pleasure today. We'll see you. We're out.
0: You've been listening to Real Talk with Mark Cox. Real life, real topics, real conversation. We're passionate about motivation, fitness, self-defense, weight loss. And coming at it from a real angle, we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show, and we hope you had fun. We know we did. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at Mark Cox 100. Make sure to subscribe and review, and tell a friend or two about the show for more.